0: All right, we're going to go ahead and get started. We're having some technical issues that these uh, expert guys are going to repair or else be expelled from school. So we'll we'll see how it, don't feel any pressure or anything. No pressure. Well, you folks, um, you know, 3 o'clock on a sunny Friday afternoon on the last day of Harvard. Either you have been really bad and you got to make up for a lot of sin or I I don't know... uh, you're pretty, pretty brave for being here. Um, to make matters maybe a little bit worse, we're gonna be spending some time in Jeremiah. <laughs> so I thought, you know, the weeping prophet, you know, for to finish up uh, this, this afternoon. But really glad that, that you're here. My name is Tim Curtis, and I'm, I'm supposed to introduce myself, uh, um, since this is being recorded as well. And I, I'm the preacher at the Georgetown Church of Christ, which is on the northern edge of the Austin, Texas metro area. I've uh, been there almost uh, 10 years. My wife, Sandy, is uh, over here, and um, uh, we've uh, had a great week being here and are just really, really happy that you've come to share this time with us. Um, so this class is called The Reluctant Leader, uh, and it is about, as the subtitle says, leadership for people who don't feel especially gifted at it. And, um, like you, you kind of want to do, uh, this grows out of my own experience. Uh, because I don't feel like I have the gift of leadership. Yet, like, like some of you, I find myself uh, a good part of my life in a leadership role. Uh, and that's, you know, I never have been a big fan of that little motto you hear sometimes you need to lead, follow, or get out of the way. Um, because sometimes I, I, you know, we don't want to lead. Uh, but we're just in that position, and we'd love to get out of the way, we'd love to follow, but somebody's got to lead, and it just seems like we're the ones that have, that have kind of uh, been put in that position. And I, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know if there are any statistics about this, I haven't found any, but I've been, I've been doing this for 36 years, um, and I know a lot of preachers, a lot of elders, and I would say that at least half of preachers are in that kind of same category. There, I, I have known some leaders who preach, and they're phenomenal. Uh, you know, Rick actually, I think, is one of those leaders who preach and are, are just incredible preachers as well. And then there are others of us who are preachers, and then we lead. And I think probably the same thing is true of, of elders and ministry leaders and whatever role you might, might find yourself in uh, when, we're, when we're leading, when we don't feel especially gifted at that. And that that can be a, a pretty discouraging uh, process sometimes, because what we find ourselves doing is is trying to to be something and do something that isn't intuitive for us. Uh, it it doesn't come come natural, um, and it's it can be kind of discouraging. You know, what we tend to do is uh, if if someone is not gifted in a particular area in the church, we we kind of help steer them in some other direction. This is not where your gift is. You shouldn't serve here, you should serve over here. But yet, sometimes, well, I'm just the person who has to do this, and so even though I'm not gifted, this is is where I need to be. And what makes that even more challenging uh, at times is when we begin to compare ourselves to others. Have you done that? Uh, And that just, boy, that that can just wipe you out. I could have subtitled this this uh, talk how Everett Hufford almost ruined me mm-hmm. or how Monty Cox almost ruined me or how Rick actually almost ruined me uh, because I look at those guys and I think I should be that way and I and I, I've never gotten that from any of them in fact Everett Hufford was uh, you know a teacher at Harding uh, School of theology when I was there and uh, is a you know, as a friend, as an elder at a church where I was at, and I've learned a lot about leadership from Everett, uh, and I never got that kind of message from him, but I just, I, I that's what I would do. I would project that, uh, that, well, I, I need to do it the way Everett's doing it because he does it so well, he does it so naturally. And then I couldn't, and that's when I would begin to kind of be filled with self-doubt and wonder, well, am I really cut out for this? Maybe I shouldn't be... Uh, in this role because it just, it just doesn't come naturally for me. And so here we are. We find ourselves at times in positions of leadership without the gift of leadership. And when we find ourselves in those situations, I think there are two options that we have. One is to recognize that we shouldn't be leading, that uh, maybe it is not in God's will for me to be in this role right now. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on, about maybe how we might be able to discern that. The other option is to say, well, I I do think God has put me in this this position. I think I'm here because he wants me to be here, which leads to a realization, if God has done that, then it's not a mistake. I, I am not the wrong person for this, which leads me to the conclusion that, well, if God has put me in the position of leadership, God is going to equip me to be a leader. And l- the leadership gift is not the only gift that is necessary to be able to lead. Does that, does that make sense? Are you following that? That Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know why it's this way. I don't know why God does it that way. But there are some men and women that he is gifted to lead and they do an awesome job at it. It, it kind of comes natural for them. And there are all these other people that are in those positions it doesn't come natural for us, but yet if God put us there, he will equip us to be able to lead the way that we need to. Uh, God God didn't make a mistake in doing that. And I, I think maybe one of the reasons why that might be the case is maybe God gets more of the glory for that uh, because it, it points to the real source and who really is, is kind of making all this happen. There, I've been reading a book um, called... Um, Forged in Crisis by Nancy Keene. And Nancy Keene is a historian for the Harvard School of Business. I don't know why a school of business, I think need a historian, but this is Harvard, so they, they've got a historian. And in this book, she writes about five different leaders, and it's mostly historical, but also gives a, a, you know, some leadership lessons. Forged in Crisis is the name of it. And those five leaders are Ernest Shackleton. You to get everyone? Uh, good, good. So I just push play whenever it's time, right? Oh, good. Yes. Okay. And then if you want the deck to be on there. Uh, no, you can leave that there. No? Oh, you mean? I'll like the light. does not bother me. Is okay. it bother you all? Okay. Yeah. <coughs> so I just got to push play. All right. All right. Thanks so much, guys. You can stay in school. So <laughs> <laughs> appreciate that. <coughs> So Ernest Shacklin, you remember who Ernest Shacklin is? Led that failed uh, uh, excursion into the South Pole. You know, they were, they were trapped on ice for like a year and a half, something like that, I don't remember. Uh, Abraham Lincoln specifically, um, and stay close I, so I can yell if I really need you here, but uh, specifically his leadership during the Civil War. Um, Frederick Douglass, who worked as a former slave to help emancipate uh, slaves and, and to change that mindset. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his dealing with the Nazis. And then the last one, uh, and I haven't read this far yet, is Rachel Carson, who wrote a book called Silent Spring. And all, what all five of these leaders have in common is they, you know, some of them maybe had some natural leadership gifts, but it wasn't until they got in that situation uh, that, that crisis, that need, that those gifts really emerged and they really uh, became leaders. And here's what, here's what Nancy Keene wrote in the introduction. She said charisma and aggressiveness, two attributes we often associate with important leaders, aren't essential to making a big, worthy impact. Uh, you, you think of those leaders, you know, charisma and aggressiveness, confidence. Two attributes we often associate with important leaders aren't essential to making a big, worthy impact. Nor is real leadership primarily a result of specific endowments with which a few special people are born. The truth, it turns out, is quite different. Courageous leadership is actually a result of individual people committing to work from their stronger selves, discovering a mighty purpose, and motivating others to join their cause. In the process, each of these five leaders and the people they inspire are made more resilient a bit bolder and in some instances even more luminous they, they shine brighter and when this happens impact expands and the possibility grows for moving goodness uh, moving goodness forward in the world so it wasn't just their intellect and their charisma and their personalities that qualified them for leadership it was it was something else and so that's that's kind of encouraging to know that and so one of the things I really would like to do today is just set you free from that sense of of being a failure or being inadequate because you don't lead like some other people lead, because you're not that natural born leader like we say sometimes. And if you're if you're feeling like, well, I'm just I'm, I must maybe I'm not cut out for this or. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm failing at this, God's disappointed with me in this. I just, I just wanna kind of, let's just dismiss that right now because I think God's doing some other things that can, uh, can turn out to be really, really good. And so what I wanna do is talk about uh, some attributes and some gifts that will help us feel confident in God using us as leaders in spite of the fact that we might not have the gift of leadership. Um, and I, I think there are there are, are several of those, and then to be able to lead out of those gifts, okay, to, to kind of take what, who we are uh, and be able to lead out of that and not just depend upon this natural ability that we think we, we ought to have. And the first of those that I would suggest is a sense of calling, a sense of calling that, uh, that God has put you in the position you're in, and He's done that for a purpose, and God has called you to that. He, he could have given you those leadership gifts. He, he could have uh, put somebody else there, but instead he put you, and he has called you to what you're doing, your ministry, as much as he's called anybody else who has a gift of leadership to, to their ministry. And I really like and draw a lot on uh, what Paul wrote to the Ephesians. In Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 10, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, I really like the way that, uh, that it's put here. After talking about what God did for us when he, uh, when he saved us by his grace, in verse 10, he, he says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us and you in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I don't think that's limited to people who have the gift of leadership. I think every one of us can go with this confidence that God has been working on me and God has made me a certain way because there are some things he wants to accomplish and he's put me in the position to do that. And so that sense of calling that, uh, that, that God put me here uh, is just so important to give us in giving us confidence that God is going to work and God's going to accomplish something through this. And and so if God has called me, God's going to equip me. Those God, those whom God calls, God equips, and I'll be able to do what he's what he's asking me to do. Now there's a there's kind of a funny thing though about this business of calling, uh, especially when you look at it in, in the Bible. It seems that very seldom do people answer that call with a lot of enthusiasm, because our our natural um, response many times is well, this isn't right. I'm not, I'm not the one who should be doing it. And that 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 takes us to Jeremiah. Um, and Jeremiah is one of many examples that we could look at. But um, if you're if you are thinking that uh, you don't have what it takes to be a, a good leader, then boy, you can, you can really identify with Jeremiah and I, I certainly can as well. Um, Jeremiah begins with he's telling the story. He's telling about his, his work as a prophet. And there's a little bit of background about him and, and where he was from and when all this happened. And the very first thing that Jeremiah refers to is his calling. Uh, in verse four, the Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And so you go back to Paul, you know that there are things God's been orchestrating. Well, that was true with Jeremiah. Before he was born, God, God had a mission in mind for Jeremiah. And so it's at this point where you're thinking, Jeremiah is gonna say, all right, God, let me, let me get my pen and paper, and start firing away. You know, tell me what it is you want me to do, because I, I would be pretty excited if I heard God say those words to me. Look at verse six. Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, and I, I love the fact that the NLT, these both have exclamation points, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. <laughs> in other words, he's not just kind of, well, I'm not so sure about this. He's confident that he's not the right one, that, that somebody else needs to be doing this. And so basically he's telling God, you've made a mistake here. Either the time's not right, or, or I, you know, I'm, I'm too young, you should wait till later on. And that's kind of the typical response of people in scripture who are called into leadership roles. Who, who stands out more than probably anybody else in that? Moses. Moses, yeah. I, uh, I, I love uh, that scene in Exodus 4 where, you know, God, God calls him. It's really pretty similar here. And Moses thinks of this excuse. And then God kind of handles that. Well, there's this, you know, I can't speak well. And, you know, I don't really know your name. And, you know, this kind of goes through this little list of excuses. And then finally, in uh, in verse, I think it's verse 13 of, uh, yeah, of Exodus 4, he, he just finally says, uh, "God, would you just find someone else? You know, I, I'm out of excuses. You you thought of an answer to all of them. Just get somebody else to do it because I'm not the person you have in mind." And you just you, know, you go through Scripture, and whether they made that assertion themselves or you just you're reading their stories, you think God's God's you know God is not a leadership guru. Because he's always putting the wrong people in these roles of leadership. I mean, look at David. You know, the scrawny kid is going to take on Goliath. And there's, you know, there's Peter, who didn't do very well as a follower. Really messed up a lot. But now he's the one that's going to, you know, be leading the church and announcing, you know, what God has done through Jesus. And uh, you know, there's Paul. You know, the guy who persecuted her. You just go on and on with this list of of why this isn't the right person. God wouldn't let Jeremiah get away with that. Listen to what he says next. And uh, Jeremiah says, I can't speak, I'm too young. Verse 7, the Lord replied, don't say I'm too young, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and will, will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. And then the Lord reached out and touched my mouth and said, look, I have put my words in your mouth. He's not saying, look, I'm giving you the gift of leadership. I'm giving you a message because I'm calling you to go and do something that needs to be done. And then he gives him a couple of visions to kind of make that, make that point, illustrate that. Down in verse 17, Jeremiah is recording this. He's, he's, this is his story. God says to him, get up and prepare for action. Or don't sit back there and feel sorry because you can't preach like Richard, actually <laughs> It says, you get up and you prepare for action. Go out and tell them everything I tell you to say. Do not be afraid of them or I will make you look foolish in front of them. Not because you're not gifted, but because you're, you're operating out of fear. For see, today I have made you strong like a fortified city that cannot be captured. Like an iron pillar or a bronze wall, you will stand against the whole land, the, king, uh, the king's officials, priests, and people of Judah, They will fight you, but they will fail. For I am with you, and I will take care of you. I, the Lord, have spoken. There's going to be a lot of times in Jeremiah's ministry where he's not going to feel like a strong wall or like an iron uh, pillar or a bronze wall. And he's going to have to call call on this a lot, that God God put me here for a reason. It's going really poorly. This is not going well at all, but I I really believe that God put me here here for a reason, and so he just he had to keep uh, referring back. I think to that that call from God. I, I several years ago, my first ministry role, uh, first ministry job, I should say, as a professional, um, was in Morgantown, West Virginia. Any, anybody from that part of the world here? All right. I was the campus minister at WVU. I was interviewing to be the campus minister at WVU. They had a great program had a very strong leader in, in that role. And uh, I am right out of college, uh, my first ministry job. Uh, I, I had um, been in a, a, a campus ministry at the University of Kentucky where I was a student and uh, then went to Harding and you know got some training and wanted to go into campus ministry and there was this opening and it was uh, in the middle of a school year, I think, that previous uh, person kind of ended poorly and they were desperate enough that they would talk to a guy right out of, right out of college. And so I, I remember going and uh, being at their student center and you know, meeting with people and uh, just spending a lot of time with this, these students in this campus ministry. And I was really impressed with this group. I mean, they were, they were really, they had a lot going for them. And I remember that, that evening, I was getting ready to do a devotional and I, I, almost having a panic attack because I, I I, just thought to myself, I mean, this is a fantastic ministry. I'm not up to this. I, I can't do this. And I, I just felt like I was in so far over my head, like Jeremiah. I'm, I'm not the right person for this. But I, I distinctly remember that thought, I, I can't do this. And uh, it's a shame, yeah. You know, I'm not more Pentecostal because this is where I say, God spoke to me, you know? <laughs> and he did, he did. Um, not in that audible voice, but just that, uh, an awareness, just, just like that, that, well, of course, you're not up to this. And that's what best qualifies you for the job. That I was aware that I, I, I wasn't bringing a lot to this, but I felt like God was putting me in that position. And, I, and just that, you know, the passage that came to mind was 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, that his power is made perfect in weakness. His power is made perfect in weakness. And that's why I say that I think you know, one of the nice things about not having that gift of leadership, and God, God gets the glory for giving those people the gift and the, the way they use it. But I think God gets glory when he uses people like us as well, That we, at least from us. We know it's not our ability. We know that you know, if, it's a, if it's a great ministry we're leading and it's really having some success or you, know, you feel like the sermon connected or you're, you're an elder and you, you see some good things happening in church, we know who gets the credit for that. We we know who is at work, and it's and it's God. So I, I think that that sense of calling uh, is is really fundamental. That you're there because God wants you to be there, and if God wants you to be there, He'll He'll use you. God equips those He calls. the The second um, characteristic that I think is is kind of an essential if we're going to lead. There, there are several names that we could give to it. Um, uh, you know things like passion or conviction, uh, fire, something like that, and not just the general attribute of being a, a passionate person, you know, a high energy person. Now, that's not who I am at all. Um, but passion for this situation, passion for this cause, passion for this church, this ministry, whatever it might be. And that's in Jeremiah twenty. There is that that passage that. Uh, you know jeremiah is especially known for he's having a really bad day i mean he's had a lot of bad experiences and in jeremiah 20 he's just i mean he's 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 at his wit's end he's just had this confrontation with this guy named pastor and he he has some really hard things to say to pastor kind of puts him in his place and then you picture him just going off and having a good cry and so he says in jeremiah 20 verse 7 listen to these words this is this is Uh, this is how we feel sometimes. Oh Lord, you misled me and I allowed myself to be misled. Have you ever felt that as a leader? I don't know if we say it that way to God, but we may have felt that, that God, you you tricked me in this. You know, I should be an accountant. (laughs) I should be a teacher. I should be doing anything other than than what I'm doing. You, You tricked me on this, God. You are stronger than I am and you overpowered me. And now I am mocked every day Everyone laughs at me. So he's, he's just done. He's absolutely done. And this is where you expect Jeremiah to say, I quit. I, I'm, I'm just not the right person. God, you need to get someone else. Verse 8. When I speak, the words burst out. Violence and destruction I shout. And so these messages from the Lord have made me a household joke. You're going to be a leader, but instead people are laughing at you. Verse 9. But if I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak in His name... His word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. I am worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. I can't not do the role that you've given me. In this case, it was proclaiming that message. I I just can't not do it. That's passion for a cause. That's recognizing that God has put you in this role and then showing that passion for the, the cause. Um, Marcus Buckingham wrote these words that I I heard just a few weeks ago from a very gifted leader, um, and I I just really were taken by them. This is what Marcus Buckingham wrote. He said, leaders are fascinated by the future. You are a leader if and only, if there's nothing about being gifted here. You are a leader if and only if you are restless for change, impatient for progress, and deeply dissatisfied with status quo. Because in your head, you see a better future. The friction between what is and what could be burns you, stirs you, propels you. He says, this, this is leadership. It's, this, it's being passionate about whatever role God has, has put you in. And that's, that's what gives us, um, I think, a sense of, of ownership of this. Now, this is my cause. This is my ministry. This is what God has called me to uh, and I'm, I'm going to be about it. This past year, I read uh, Bruce Springsteen's autobiography. I think it was called Born to Run. Maybe that, that would be appropriate, wouldn't it? And I was I was surprised at a couple things. One is how articulate he is. You know, he's got all these songs, I never really pay much attention to the words, but there's really a lot going on there. He didn't use a ghost writer. He wrote this book himself, and really was a, was a very good writer. The other thing that surprised me most in this book was early on, uh, you know, he had several bands before he, you know, Bruce Springsteen, the E Street, e Street Band. Uh, but early on, there was a point where he was just, he didn't feel like he was very confident in his voice. He didn't like his tone, uh, the range that he had. And you listen to it, I mean, he's not going to be singing at the Met. You know, he doesn't have that, that kind of voice. And there was actually a time where he formed a band and he had someone else be the singer. He hired a singer to be the front on one of his one of his early bands. Well, that didn't last very long because what he began to see was that having a sense of ownership and, and being able to communicate these songs with passion because of that ownership was more important than having a trained voice. In other words, having the gift of music. He didn't feel like he had the gift of music, but he had a passion for what he was writing and what he was singing, and that's, that's what drove him. And that, I'd, I'd say that, that worked out pretty well. I want to show you, hopefully, a, a clip from The Greatest Showman. How many of you have seen that movie? All right, the rest of you, when you get out of here, go see that movie, okay? It's just a fantastic movie. It's interesting that, you know, I'm 62, and I love it. Uh, my, I took my, grand, took my granddaughters, who are 7 and 5, to see it, and they love it. It's got that kind of a, of a range, and it's, it's, uh, it's got a marvelous message. Really, really would recommend it. But I want I want us to see this, and kind of look for the leadership lesson that's uh, that's in here. You want to cross your fingers here, okay? Hmm. Hmm. To get uh, the greatest showman greenlit, we had to get everyone into New York City to hear a read through, where we'd read through the script and sing it. We needed the Fox executives, we needed Hugh, we needed the producers, and it took eight months to get everyone in the room. <laughs> and, and once uh, we managed to get this date, uh, Hugh calls me the day before and says that I had just had a skin cancer cut out of my nose. Uh, all was fine. I knew you were worried about that. <laughs> uh, but I had 80 stitches in my nose and then my doctor said, you're not allowed to sing. I said to Hugh, <laughs> Who have you told? Because you cannot tell anyone, because no one is flying to New York City to hear you not sing a musical. Which was a good advice. So the next day, everyone arrives and I get there and I explain to everyone why I wasn't singing. I also explained, this was Michael's suggestion, a good one, that I should stand just to be clear to everyone that I will be singing on the day and gesticulate and, and of course act all the scenes. And he did, he yep. a, to, to, to Hugh's credit, he did that for every single number. He stood up there, he, he was the great showman, until one number. <laughs> if all was closed, there's more i gain. Cause it led me back to From now on, these eyes cannot not be blind. About necessarily a kind of you know rah rah follow me. It says this is what I believe in, and I believe it so strongly that I, I just others get pulled along. I mean that's exactly what uh, what Dr. Keen was saying that um, in this process, each of the leaders and the people they inspire are made more resilient, a bit bolder, and in some instances even more luminous. Uh, they discover a mighty purpose and motivating others to join the cause. And when this happens, impact expands. And the possibility grows for moving goodness forward in the world. I don't, I don't know if Hugh Jackman has the gift of leadership, but boy, he was pretty passionate about what he was doing. And, and people jumped on board with that. They just, they, they couldn't help but be a part of that. People follow passion. You know, as I mentioned, I, I don't, I, I really have always felt pretty inadequate as a, as a leader in the church. Uh, I, I I know that God has used me to lead through the ministry of preaching, and and, uh, and I'm I'm good with that. I like it. Uh, but recently, there's been this this kind of passion that I I felt about something. Georgetown has a large retirement community. you remember Sun City communities? There's one in in Georgetown. There are over six thousand homes that are a part of a retirement community there. And there are several others around there. And so our church, if you if you take away those 18 and under, our average age is 58, that's the average. We've got a lot of retirees, a lot of older people there. But Georgetown is always, uh, in addition to that, Georgetown is, is usually in the top five, a couple of years has been number one in the fastest growing cities in the US, 100,000 and under. And the people who are with just within a mile of our church building, there are 2,200 new homes that are being built and will be finished uh, within about another seven years. It's kind of a long, long-term long plan. And the people that are coming to those are young families. And we're seeing that already, more and more young families uh, coming, coming to our church. And so we've got this, this could be kind of toxic, this mix of older members and, and younger members. And what I have gotten really excited about, did any of you go to Kara Powell's uh, presentation here this week? Uh, if not, read the book, Growing Young. If, if you're if you're got a church uh, where there is a potential for the old people to make a contribution, read that book, Growing Young, because they, they did a lot of research on churches that were reaching millennials and, and why. And I, I read that and I was just uh, fascinated by that. and. And more than fascinated I I felt like I have a personal interest in this because we've got five grandkids seven and under we've got uh, Four adult children that are Millennials and and the trend is those people are leaving and uh, As you know as they as they get Older once they leave high school. They're they're gone about half of them will be gone and so we started talking about this and um And and what is emerging is a ministry within our church uh, where we are trying to mobilize the older adults to lead by serving the younger adults, so that, and and children and teenagers, so that when something comes up and, you know, maybe it's a change or a, a program, I don't know, any number of things like this, even song selection, that we want our first response to not be, do I like this? we want our first response to be, is this going to help them? And, and this, this older community, there are a lot of people who want to just coast. Some people just want to kind of coast until they die. But there are a lot of people who want to have a sense of mission. And I just kind of have gotten caught up in this. And there have been a lot of obstacles. Um, when I first met with our, call next gen minister. He's, he's uh, kind of like family life. He's, he works with next generations and our executive minister to tell them, I want to start this ministry. We're going to call it Legacy, and it's going to be for my generation to help you do what you're doing. They, they were so discouraging to me, uh, and we, we laughed about it because I said, you know, I came here thinking you guys would be, yeah, all right, let's go with this. And instead, it was like, oh, it's never going to happen. <laughs> and we laughed, and, but, and there have been several instances like that where it was discouraging, and it hasn't slowed me down a bit. And again, it's not because I'm this great leader or have this great vision for this. I'm just really passionate about this. I, I think that the the trend, I don't want this to happen on our watch. I don't wanna stand before God saying we lost a generation and we could have done something and we didn't do it because we were so focused on ourselves. And so there's this incredible momentum building and we're still pretty early in, this, in the process, I think. A lot more good stuff's gonna come but we're building this ministry simply because of the passion that is, is kind of being stirred in the church, that we're, we're going to do something about it. So I, I just think that you know, that's, that is probably uh, one of the gifts. I don't know if that's even a gift or not. That's just a, a situation that we find ourselves in where we're stirred a certain way, and, uh, and we just you know, we, we have to do something about it. But I think that's, that's really essential. Uh, A.G. Lafley. Uh, this, is, this is something that was recorded in this book by Nancy King, uh talking about Lincoln. Uh, A.G. Lafley said this, that uh, talking about how leaders are made, said the factors that go into it, the first is an individual's strengths and weaknesses and the cumulative experience a person acquires walking his or her path. The second is that an individual recognizes a moment has arrived that demands his or her leadership. A moment has arrived that demands his or her leadership. And the third is that the individual has to consciously decide to embrace the cause and get in the game. So if our mindset is, well, I'll lead if God makes it easy for me to lead, I don't know that's going to happen a lot. But if we just we see a cause, it's children's ministry, it's being an elder, it's it's, you know, uh, mobilizing older adults, working with teens, whatever. If I'm just taken by that cause, that's what Jeremiah had. Uh, That's what you see in Jesus. I I love, you know, all four Gospels record the clearing of the the temple, but John, John's the only one who takes this back to the Psalms. And John's the one who says, this was to fulfill the Scripture that said, zeal for your house will consume that, that's what John saw in that situation. It was zeal for God's house that had consumed Jesus. And that, no doubt, was a, a factor in, in what he was able to do. Now, um, kind of pause here for a moment. And I, you know, I, I said at the beginning that maybe one option is we don't need to be leading. That we're really outside of God's will if we're trying to lead right now. I think if we don't have me say either of these, uh, both of these that that's probably our sign that, that we shouldn't be, be leading. If I don't have a sense of calling that you know God God has me here for a reason and I don't feel any passion about this area in which I'm, I'm being called upon to lead right now then probably I, I don't need to be leading that I, I need to, I need to step aside and it, either it's God's will that it falls, or maybe not God's will, but it's that's just what needs to happen, and something else will arise. There'll be some something else I need to be doing. Maybe some other place that God will use me. But if I don't have a sense of calling that God put me here, and I don't feel any passion for this, then really, what am I going to bring to it? What I, you know? What what will I do? Just open the doors and close them when people are done, I guess. But. But maybe that's a sign that I, I don't need to be leading. But if you, if you do have that sense of calling, that, well, I'm, I'm here, God put me here, and I want to see this work. I, I want to see this have an impact, then, then you're probably the person that God, uh, that God has to be there. Now, uh, there's another quality, and I want to I pick back up with the, uh, the video here. I love how, you know, I you love know, this lady. She goes off Pentecostal. I me. Mean, she's standing on, a, on a, a chair screaming. You know, that's how, how much she's kind of pulled in to, uh, to what's going on here. But I want you to watch uh, the rest of this, about another minute or so. And notice the guy who was filling in for Hugh Jackman. Okay? There's this guy who, you know, he can't see. And so there's this guy who's taken his place. He's standing next to him. I would kind of keep your eye on him as this uh, as this plays out. have that gift of leadership. Um, there is this humility that we have to be sure we're holding on to. I mean, you know, it, it, it should come naturally, I guess, but a humility that would say, I don't have to be the man. I don't have to be the woman. I don't have to be the one that this is, is all about. And I love what that guy's doing. Uh, you know, he's the leader. Uh, and then this other leader emerges, and he joins in the chorus. And he contributes in the way that he can. And he's pointing at Jackman. And what did, what did he do at the end? High five. High five, walked around him, pat him on the back, and he, and he left. I think that one of the attributes that all leaders need, uh, those who are gifted and those who aren't, is the humility that leads us to not have to be the man, not have to be the woman. And I, I think there are a couple of reasons for that. One is, maybe because we're not that naturally gifted leader, we really need other people. Uh, it, it needs to be more of a team than just, just, hey, everybody, come, come follow me. Uh, and I, I really, I'm in a situation where I, I'm blessed to be able to have some people you know, that, that I can work with uh, that, will, that will do that. And I, I make sure that they have a, have a voice. And I've even kind of stepped aside from being that kind of senior pastor um, because I don't, I don't like doing that. I, I don't do it well. And we have some other people who are more gifted at that. And I, I want to be a team player. And it's a challenge for me sometimes because, you know, I'm old enough to be their dad and grandfather in some, some cases. Um, you know, we've got one guy, our, our executive minister, and he's kind of a, our lead strategist. He's, he's a strategy kind of guy. And I am not. I just, I really don't operate that well. And so recently we had a, a, a goal setting session where we met with all, all the ministers and we talked about, you know, our goals for the coming year. And I, I told him, I said, all right, I've got two goals for this year. This is my strategy. First goal is just do what I think the Holy Spirit wants me to do today. The second goal is always do number one. You know that's that's about as far as I can go with, with strategy. And we laughed about that. And we we worked on well. Maybe maybe I can do a little better. But I've gotta I've gotta allow that for ha- to happen because I realize that my method of my strategy probably isn't going to work for a church. Let's just do what the Spirit's leading us to do. Today. And I can I can bring that influence and we we can do that. But church needs probably a little bit more than that. So we we need others. Um, and, and that's, that's really, really important that we, we kind of draw upon people who have strengths that we don't have. The second reason, and I think this is, this is important, I may just be in a season of leadership right now. That, that maybe this is not something that I'm going to be, a, a role that I'll be in for the rest of my life, but I'm in a season of leadership. You know, I think of the Lord of the Rings. Uh, you know, there was the, there was the steward who when it came time to turn the kingdom back over to the king, didn't want to let go of it. Uh, there was somebody else who, who should have been, you know, the return of the king, he should have been king, but the steward didn't want to give up that power. And I saw this um, grapple with this, I guess, some uh, several years ago, I, I preached on an interim basis at the White Station, uh, Church of Christ in Memphis. That's where Everett Hufford was in Everett or how uh, we got connected. And, um, and it was interim. And I knew that. And it was only supposed to have been for three months. It turned out being for 14 months. And at the end of that interim period, there was a part of me that didn't want to let go of this. Um, Because there was a new guy now who was coming in. And I just knew that if I was going to really bless this church and kind of end with the blessing, that what I had to do was step out of the way and point to him. Just like that guy was pointing at Hugh Jackman. He, He was the leader now. I had a season of leadership. But now it was over and it was time to turn it over to someone else. And so one of the things that, that I have tried to do in my ministry, I think you probably somebody in your life like this as well, is just help, help those young eagles fly. That's one of the roles I feel like I have had is to, is to help the young guys and, and, and women in our church be able to fly. They're, they're talented and I wanna help them get the most out of, out of those talents. I think a lot of great leaders will point to men and women in their past who did this for them. Several years ago, I heard uh, Larry Osborne, who uh, is at North Coast Community Church, wrote a book called Sticky Church, maybe some of you have read that. Uh, he talked about the, the day that Saul could have saved the kingdom. And, and uh, in 1 Samuel, chapter 18, there is this, this occasion where uh, you know, there's been a battle, you know, and they're coming back, and all the women are out singing. This, this song. You remember that song that uh, Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his tens ten of thousands, thousands or tens of thousands. And if only Saul had said, yep, and that's my boy. That's my boy. I, you know, th- this guy's on my team, and I'm so proud of him, for what he's done. Instead, it was, hey, they like him more than they like me. And, and that's when he kind of turned and he lost the kingdom. He could, have, he could have had a loyal friend for life if he had just embraced this young eagle who was ready to fly. But instead, he had to be the man, had to be the king, had to hold on to it, and he eventually lost the kingdom. I have worked uh, with a, a, a youth minister who was young, and took over from a very successful youth minister. And even though there was a year in between them, this guy who was young had his insecurities and he was just very, very kind of uh, jealous of this guy. And of course this guy still had students and parents who, who loved him. And anytime his name came up, you could see this young guy just just kind of, you know, bristle. In fact, we kind of joked that the best way to get him to do something this way is to say that the first guy would do it this way. But <laughs> you know he was going to do it the other way. And I and I talked to him about this one time and I said, "Look, if I was in that situation, I would I would say, yeah, and he's my best friend. And I would bring him back for retreats. And I would want people to know that we're on the same team. Uh, and and not let my own securities and my own desire be the man. Be the one in charge, be the one that everybody looks to kind of drive some people away. And that's that's exactly what, what happened. I don't know where this uh, originated, um, but I've I've seen it from several different places. That sometimes we plant trees under whose shade we will not sit. That's what we're doing sometimes in leadership roles. Is we are planting trees under whose shade we will not sit. In other words, we're not gonna, we're not going to see them grow and become productive. We're we're just doing some We're the ones who are sowing. Somebody else is going to reap, and somebody else is going to plant, and we have to be okay with that. There are times when leadership is sustained by the realization that you are planting or fertilizing, but you may not see the harvest, but that harvest would not happen if not for the work that you're doing right now. And when that that time comes, and someone else now is in a better position to be able to to lead, then you have to, to let that go was talking just uh, last Sunday, I think it was, with a lady in our church, who, uh, just the name Rule Lemons came up, and uh, she said that she worked for him, she was his secretary, I think, and she, uh, Rule Lemons, introduced her to her husband, Emel- Emel- Damans, and Lane Daniels, and introduced them. And just, that, that kind of, you know, that's a name I hadn't heard in a while. And I, and I got to thinking, as I just thought about him later, I wonder how much of where we are right now, the, the good things that we're seeing in us as a movement aren't because of real lemons and, and people like him, who were seeing some sectarianism in us that wasn't good, and were kind of pointing us to a message of grace and a um, you know a kind of a, a different way to, to view what it means to be a church. And I you know, I don't I'm sure he saw some growth, but uh, I, I don't know that he saw a lot of fruit like we're seeing right now, but a lot of where we are right now would not have happened if it hadn't been for someone like like Rural Lemons, who was planting planting trees under whose shade he wasn't able to sit. So I think that that humility kind of um, it really really is an essential. Now that, let's go back to Jeremiah. I want to want to close out um, by going back to him. You know Jeremiah in probably, I think, in the minds of the people of his day was a failure. Um, He didn't accomplish a whole lot. Uh, Nothing that Jeremiah did changed the course of the nation. They do go into exile at the end. Uh, He he didn't turn them. Uh, You know, he didn't didn't make any great contribution uh, in the way that people might have measured contribution. And even, it's so funny to me that reading Jeremiah, And that's not a phrase you hear usually when you associate with Jeremiah. The weeping prophet isn't all that funny. But uh, at the end of his story, you think, okay, finally it's going to turn because uh, the people finally go to him and say, Jeremiah, you've told us to do A and we've done B. And we're repenting of that. And so now, you know, things are just so bad right now. So you tell us what to do and we'll do it. Doesn't matter what you say, we'll do it. Jeremiah says, all right, do this. And what they do? They do exactly the opposite of what he says. And eventually, Jeremiah is carried off into Egyptian captivity. And as far as we know, that's, that's where he died. And so I, I think, at best, he would have been this heroic failure uh, about whom people would have said, well, at least he tried. You know, at least he tried to change the nation, but he just wasn't able to do that. But to God, I think Jeremiah was a stunning success uh, because he did exactly what God asked him to do. All God did was ask Jeremiah to speak, just just give people this message. And even though they didn't respond to it, uh, God wasn't calling him to get a certain response. God was just calling him to speak the message. Uh, he didn't call him to be a great leader. He didn't call him to build a great organization. He just called him to do what he wanted him to do in that particular situation. God called him to do one thing, and that was to be faithful to what he was wanting him to do. And I think that's what he calls us to do. And so in this 40-year this public ministry, through some of the most confused and chaotic times in the history of, of God's people, Jeremiah really was that strong wall. He really was that, that bronze, bronze pillar. A lot of pressure to compromise, to change, but he, he didn't do it. But even though Jeremiah might have been ve- viewed as a failure in his time, that's not the end of his story because the people are carried off into Babylonian captivity. Seventy years later, they come back. And the account of their return in Ezra begins with the words, in accordance to the words of Jeremiah the prophet, seventy years later they realized what what's happening was uh, in was in fulfillment of the words of Jeremiah the prophet, and Daniel, while while you know in captivity another time will will say, try to give people a, an understanding of what's happening, and he'll say the same thing. This is in accordance to the words of Jeremiah the prophet. And a few century later, a few centuries later, Matthew is going to refer to the birth of Jesus, an event related to that as being in fulfillment of the words of Jeremiah the prophet. And when Jesus dies on the cross, Matthew says something that happened there was in fulfillment of the words of Jeremiah the prophet. And I think most of all, when when Jesus asks the disciples, who do people say that I am? Some say you're John the Baptist, Some say you're Isaiah. Some say you are Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Hundreds of years later, this person who is changing the world, some people wonder if this is Jeremiah. Now, why do they say Jeremiah? Because finally they're seeing that that God worked through him. He didn't change things in his lifetime, but but God worked uh, some mighty ways because of what Jeremiah was doing. You may think of a lot of reasons why you shouldn't be in the leadership role that you're in. And maybe those are valid. If God's called you, if God has put a passion in you for that, then you're the right person for the job. There's a, a statement, I'll, I'll close with this. Um, and I, I, I think the, the name I have in my notes is Hans Fragile. And I know that's not right, I think that's one of those autocorrect things, but it's in the foreword to a book called Real Leadership. And uh, Hans said that too many people focus on what I am to do rather than whom am I to be. Too many people in leadership roles focus on what is it I'm supposed to do rather than who is it I am supposed to be. God has put you in that position, then lead out of who you are. Lead out of the person that God has made you to be. Don't forget that he's, he's the one really working. He's the one who's called you. He's going to sustain you and just lead out of who you are. God bless you in the roles that God has has called you to. And may you have the the faith and the confidence and the calling of Jeremiah as you fulfill those roles. Thanks for being here today.